Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin, and I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. I find it very interesting. We just deal with such a range of expressions of the human experience. And you wonder, what does this have to do with the leader's navigator? And the whole focus of my work is to, people ask me, well, what am I navigating people to? And what I'm navigating people to is their true nature, who they really are, and then express that consciously in their life and their work and create cultures around what is pe- what are people's true nature. So we deal with a wide variety of stuff from addiction to mental health uh, to uh, you know challenges that we're facing in our life, building teams, uh, all kinds of the expressions of the human experience. And so today I'm fascinated, Haley, with something that has surfaced for us in the last couple of days. And uh, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. So I um. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Like it's probably been the last maybe five years or so that I'm like, I think I have ADHD. I was never diagnosed as a kid. Um, and I like, it was just not really a topic of conversation. The amount we've learned about this condition in the last 15 years, 10 years, for sure, 15 years, 20 years, definitely is so immense. And, and I think like, um, especially like ADHD and how it manifests in girls. And so I was, I was thinking about, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, you see these symptoms in student, in my students and, you know, I, you know, learn lots about special education and all of that. Right. And I, I see these symptoms I'm like, ah, you know, I wonder if I have it. I wonder if I do. So it is quite hard to get a diagnosis in, in, in our current healthcare system as an adult, it's quite easy as a child. There's a lot of resources out there. It's still quite costly. So I managed to find this organization, um, that, uh, you know, does the assessment and, and as for you, um, and it streamlines that process a lot. So I got, I finally got the diagnosis on Monday and sure enough, well, you know, eight out of eight for, or no, nine out of or nine or eight out of nine for, hyperactive tendencies and nine out of nine for inattentive tendencies, which means it's a combined presentation of it. And so it's been like, so I've just spent the last kind of couple of days, like re like not, not reeling. That makes it sound negative, but I think just like really thinking about what having a name for this actually means. And I think like, it was just like, it's, it, I feel it's, it's so liberating to realize that so many of these quirks and, and, and frustrations that I've had in my schooling, in my social life, in my work, um, for my entire life that I just thought were bad habits or laziness or lack of attention to detail. Um, just sort of these like personal flaws that I I needed to work on myself to fix individually. Actually, all of those are encompassed in just the way my brain is wired. Um, and how kind of liberating that is to kind of like relinquish control of that a little bit. Um, and so I've been, you know, it's, 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 it's liberating. It's a little scary, but there's this school of thought, um, called where, where it looks at like learning difficulties like ADHD, also autism spectrum disorder, um, as something called neurodivergent. 
So instead of seeing it as a disorder, instead of seeing it as a disability, it's just saying it's a different wiring of the brain. And there was likely some evolutionary advantage. Otherwise, this, this tendency of thinking, this way of thinking of this way that this brain is developed wouldn't exist. There must be some sort of evolutionary advantage to have people in our population, in our entire human population, to have these traits. So autism spectrum disorder is another one, right? Um, so uh, so ADHD and autism spectrum are considered, they're neurodivergent brain types. Um, and it's just a different wiring of the brain in a neurotypical world. So it's trying to find ways of navigating with a different way of thinking, different way of operating um, in a world that's just not built for that type of brain. So it's been really interesting just to do a lot of like introspection and thinking about it. And finally to have some answers about, you know, all of these things I've been struggling with my entire life, but didn't know there were any other way. So it's liberating rather than oh. disabling or limiting. Oh my, oh my God. And so like, it, it gives me permission to realize that, you know, um, when I zone out in the middle of a thought, when I'm speaking and, you know, AJ, my husband talks about this all the time, that I'll start a thought and I'll just stop mid-sentence and start thinking about something else or something else will distract me. Right. And I used to just think that that was just a flaw of me not being focused. Right. Or procrastinating uh, and really, really struggling to get through with things because I've just been procrastinating. And then the anxiety that comes from the procrastination and the perfectionism, but really just the, the, the procrastination is because the, the pleasure center of my brain, the way it's wired, the way that the nurse practitioner explained it to me, the pleasure center and the reward center of my brain um, responds more to emotions than it does to rational thinking. So the rational side of my brain says, yep, you need to get this done. You need to plan this out. You're going to feel so much better if you get it done. But the pleasure center of my brain is like, eh, this doesn't sound interesting. It's really hard for me to focus on. I'm going to, I I need that extra little bit of wiring for my brain to be like, let's actually get this done. Um, and so it's, so it's been really liberating. Even things like I've been a nail biter and a nail picker my entire life, you know, this, um, and, uh, but realizing that that isn't an anxiety symptom. Like I've never thought, like I never pick more when I'm stressed. I definitely pick when I'm thinking. And so the nurse practitioner said it's a form of stimming, uh, which means like, like it's, it's giving my brain extra stimulation because my brain is searching for stimulation, right? It's actually like, the, there's such a misunderstanding about ADHD because it's, you know, like I can focus perfectly well on things that I'm interested in. And I can, I get so focused that I forget how much time is passing. Right. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's my brain, like not knowing when it's an appropriate time to focus. So if I'm bored in a task, if I'm watching a movie, if I'm deep in thought about uh, a paper that I'm writing or what have you, um, it's an instinct to, to pick my nails or to fidget or to move or to twitch my foot or to stand up and move because my brain is searching for stimulation. And, and how do you find the strength in that? Yeah. I think it's, it's realizing that this is not a bad habit that I've taught myself. This is not a, um, a moral failing. This is not something I need to fix. It is just one part of, uh, a, a type of brain that I have. So it's, it's really a way for me to kind of, um, not abdicate responsibility. That's not it, but like, you know, sort of realize that you know, all of these problems can be remedied with therapy that therapy and medication, right. To help my brain work better in this world. I don't need to treat all of these symptoms in isolation and think of them all as these 
flaws, these personal failings. No, I can treat all of them collectively at once using these strategies, these, this, this therapy um, and medication to be able to tackle all of these symptoms because they're all type, they're all part of how my brain thinks and operates. And so it's not a label that limits you. Oh, you can begin to see the possibilities in this and that you're not a bad person yes. and that there's not something flawed about you. It's just, it's a brain wiring. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so like, I'm trying to think of the best way to, it would be like saying the way I see it, it's like you have a pain in your foot for your entire life, for example, like a generic pain in your foot. Right. And you don't know what life is like without that pain in your foot. So you find ways of overcompensating for that pain in your foot. So your, your muscles on the opposite side, get stronger, you limp, you maybe find different activities that you have to do that, that don't cause you pain, but the pain never goes away. Um, but then all of a sudden you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, it's cause you have this growth on your foot. We're going to remove it. And that's going to undo all of these problems that you have all of this pain. And then all of a sudden you have a name for what it is. Right. And, and you have some strategies to go about your life now, even though you've learned to work with it now that you finally realize that it's not your fault that that is there, it's, you know, there, there are treatment and ways of, of dealing with it so that you can go on and live your life. Cause you didn't even know that your life was like that, that like, it's just like, you know, like you didn't even realize that your brain thinks differently than other people's, but now it's like, oh, it does. That's cool. Okay, cool. Now I can, you know, find some ways of working with it in, in, in targeted strategies, as opposed to just sort of being down on myself because I procrastinate and miss details and, you know, rush through things and can't sit still. I love that. It, there's something as you compassionately accept it, mm -hmm. um, it, it naturally transforms in some way that yeah. you begin to work, you begin to work with it as opposed to working on it and trying to fix something here that's wrong with you. Cause I didn't even know what it was that I was trying to fix. Cause I was targeting all of these broad symptoms instead of like the overarching issue. Right. Um, and so like, yeah, so it's just, it's so, and I also like, I realized that like what the nurse practitioner was saying that even my anxiety is triggered by these shortcomings that happen because of ADHD. So if I can treat the ADHD, a lot of my anxiety is going to go away. Because the anxiety comes as I beat myself up for not being able to measure up because of all of these things that I can't help because of the way my brain is wired. So a lot of that self-compassion, it's a lot about like that healing, that element of it and realizing that like, no, I literally can't help it. My body literally needs to move because it's looking for stimulation. That's just the way my brain is wired. Right. And so I don't need to beat myself up for needing to move or fidget or pick my skin. No, I could just find ways of stimulating myself with, with medication, with caffeine, uh, with fidget toys, um, with, you know, um, like, like hand cream, like there's a lot of other ways of giving my brain stimulation so that I don't feel like I need to stand up and move and twitch in unhealthy ways. And you find productive, effective ways of working with these, the same energy. I imagine we've all got something going on, but we're all comparing ourselves to the, to some kind of mythology of a norm of somebody that doesn't have any of these symptoms. And yeah. is this not just an expression of the human experience? Well, and that's why this school of thought about neurodiversity is so fascinating. So it's the school of thought that a lot of these, like, especially when, when we're, when we talk about neurodiversity, we're talking about different ways, the brain processes information. So autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, dyslexia, um, a lot of these things that we used to sort of pathologize as learning disabilities, 
what this the school of thought says, hey, these are just just like we have diversity in every other realm of the human experience in terms of differences and who different people are in terms of skin color and in terms of uh, abilities and in terms of gender and in terms of, you know, all of this diversity that exists in the human condition, right, in the human experience the type of thinking and the way your brain works is just another type of that neurodiversity. It's just another type of that diversity, right? And so it's saying, yes, we live in a world that's built for people who are one type of brain, right? The neurotypicals, but there are a lot of people who don't fit within that, right? And so it's finding ways of, of changing our world so that it's more inclusive, just like it is with any other, any other form of diversity. How has it, I mean, it's very early in your understanding of this, how has it changed your relationship to the world knowing this? Uh, it definitely has given me a lot more compassion for my students with ADHD. Um, and I think it's also, it's made me a lot more, um, I think, aware of these, like these limitations and restrictions that our modern society has on people that aren't very open, like just like even the nature of sitting in a desk at school for eight hours a day, right? Like that is a very specific structure that doesn't work for a good portion of our, of our population because of how much diversity we have in the way of thinking. Right. And so, so finding ways like, you know, for, for me, I realize like a standing desk is incredibly important to me because that offers my brain a little bit more stimulation than just sitting, sitting, right. My body's correcting, balancing things like that. Right. Um, and so, so finding that as a strategy suggests to other kids, right. Um, same with like, you know, little things like chewing gum, right. Or, or, um, things like that. Cause that can offer other little like, like stimulation to the brain, right. So that your brain isn't constantly searching for stimulation and can instead focus on the task that it needs to. That is very cool. So I've started taking this medication for it. Um, this is only my second day on it and already I've noticed just in terms of my thoughts are streamlined. It's not like a bajillion voices going on in my head. If I get interrupted mid thought or mid task, I've already found this and I've only been on it for two days. Um, I can come back to it way easier. I don't just forget about it. Um, I am not constantly checking my to-do list. I have it in my head of what I need to do. I don't need to rely on like external to-do lists. Um, I'm finding I slept the best sleep I've had in years last night. My brain was tired at the end of the day, but it wasn't foggy. It was just like, yeah, like, you know, we had a, we had a big day. It's tired. It wasn't foggy. It wasn't groggy. Um, so I, I fell asleep really easily and I, I slept very deeply. Um, I didn't have like, you know, constant noise going on in my head. Um, you know, I was able to just focus on the task at hand. I caught a lot more details in an email that I read, um, you know, so I was able to actually just be a lot more present when I was helping a student after school with work. Normally I would be like helping the student and then realize something. And then if I didn't drop everything right then and do it, I would have forgotten about it. So I, you know, sorry, kid, wait a second, but I was able to be a lot more present with her. Um, and it's only been two days. So the, the nurse practitioner said that ADHD, particularly in girls, just because of the way it, it, it is diagnosed, right. Um, is the least, it's the most under diagnosed, but the easiest to treat because all, all the medication is, is it's just a little stimulant in your brain. It just gives your brain a little bit of extra energy, just like a cup of coffee does. Some kids actually are prescribed coffee for ADHD because all it is, is it just gives your brain a little bit of extra energy. That's all it does. 
doesn't make you high or anything like that. It's just a little bit of extra energy uh, in your brain to get those neurons firing a little bit more efficiently and faster um, so that you can focus on other things instead of searching for stimulation. What's the message, Haley, that you would like to share with the world? Uh, that's a great question. I think, I think our world is learning so much more. So I think like if, if you notice any of these symptoms, like in yourself or, um, in your, in your kids, also the other thing too, dad, is it, it tends to be genetic. So if you have ADHD, chances are a parent did. Um, and so, uh, you know, but, but I think about the level of compassion we have because of our greater understanding of this condition, right. Um, it's just, we just know so much more. So in order to get a diagnosis, right? Like if you see any of these symptoms seem to, you know, if, the, if this seems to be things that you struggle with, they aren't moral failings, right? Or mistakes that you've made or ha bad habits that you've gotten into. It might literally just be the way your brain is wired, right? Um, and so to have some compassion with that and to get a name for it. Um, and I think too, because uh, with a lot of this, uh, I think part of like, and I'm, I'm kind of going back to what I was just saying before, but, um, you know, girls tend to be less likely to be diagnosed because traditionally, and I, I think about this with, you know, family members of ours or, or my own students, right. The kids who get flagged for ADHD are the kids who are bouncing off the wall. They're kids who cannot sit still. They're the ones causing a lot of behavior problems because their brain is looking for that stimulation. Right. And so they're the ones because of behavior issues, it's more of a control issue to get them under control. So they get, they get medicated, they get a diagnosis, but it's not actually necessarily what they need. But the kids who get missed for that diagnosis are, are the kids who are daydreaming, who are in the soccer field, picking dandelions, right. Um, because they're just, they're, they're looking for something that's more interesting to them. Right. And so, yeah. So anyway, just fascinating. And just even just how much more we understand that ADD doesn't exist anymore. It's ADHD and there are different types of it, including combined type, right? So even just our vernacular and our diagnostic diagnostic tools and everything is, is just changing and, and becoming more um, easy to access. And you can probably see that the patterns throughout your whole life that match this. Definitely, right? Definitely. But there were also things that like my teachers didn't look for because, and I think this was the other thing too, because I was a, a, a strong academic student, I didn't cause behavior problems. Um, I wasn't moving around the classroom, partly because I had so much anxiety that I didn't want to move around the classroom. I didn't want to be seen as different. I didn't want to throw things. I didn't want to stand out. Right. And so because of that, um, it, I, it was like that diagnostic was overlooked in school right? Not at home, right? Because at home, I could just be who I wanted to be. But the way it like the way that ADHD is right, it's a response, like, it, it's a it's a it's a neurodivergent brain type that is trying to fit into a neurotypical structure, right? And the school is a neurotypical structure at home, I could be whoever I wanted to be, right? So I think that's also why you guys probably didn't see these signs. Also, we didn't know anything about it, right? Like, our understanding of ADHD is so much, so much more in depth and improved, right? But because like it, like it was really in school is where it should have been caught. Right. But it didn't because it, I didn't pose any problems. Yeah. You more internalized it. Yeah. And, yeah. So what is the lesson for leaders? And I mean, if you can look at your role as a teacher, when you see this in the class, and then if we could expand and, and look at what might the learning here be for those who serve a team of people who might exhibit some of these uh, challenges? 
I think for us to just think critically about the structure that we've built for like, whether that's the actual literal physical structure of a building, right? Like uh, compared to like the structures of, of and systems in place. I think thinking about the structures that we have and really thinking critically, like, does this serve the population that it needs to, right? And I think really thinking critically, because it's not like, it's the same way that a curb cut, you know, for example, like, you know, when the curb kind of goes down a little bit, right? That helps people in wheelchairs. It helps women with strollers. It helps people with mobility issues. It helps skateboarders, right? That simple little change of design and that structure helps such a variety of people. So I think if, if for, for, for leaders and, and for people in management, right, to think about like both infrastructure, but also like social structures and systems in place and really thinking critically, like, does this serve the people that it needs to serve, right? Like, um, you know, in a practical example, you look at like, there's always a line outside of a women's washroom, always, no matter where, where you are, no matter what event, if it's the, the airport at a sporting event, whatever, right? There's always a line outside of the women's bathroom. But another example of like us internalizing this is women are like, oh yeah, classic women's bathroom problems. No, that is a structure that is not serving the purposes of that group, right? That bathroom needs to be redesigned. It's the same with ADHD, right? That it's these people are bumbling along thinking like it, I'm the one at fault because I don't fit the structure. No, let's dismantle the structure. And think that. the structure is actually serving everybody. So I like for, for something like ADHD, for example, right? Um, finding ways of sitting in an office, right? Alternatives, right? Not everyone's going to want to sit in an office chair, right? Some might, right? But providing those options that, you know, some people can have standing desks. Some people might want to walk around and have meetings while you walk around. Some people are floor sitters, right? Some people like to sit on the floor, on couches, on beds, right? Like I think about where people worked from home, for instance, right? During the pandemic, people worked from all kinds of places, Right. So providing so thinking about some of those options, some of these structures that are just so ingrained in our day to day life, like an office chair. Right. And thinking about, OK, well, is this actually the best possible structure for the people that are using it? And just to be attuned. To the fact that we're all different yeah, and that we're all unique and that we need to be adaptive to creating systems that support that uniqueness. Diversity isn't always what you see no. on the outside. It's more than that, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes the human condition so rich, right? Like that's what it's, it's diversity. And, and like, like, I know this is sounds so trite, right? But no two people are the same, right? But there's diversity in experiences, diversity in brain types, diversity in religion, diver like the, the diversity of experience in, in today's world and of people that we are able to interact with because of, you know, globalization, what have you, right? Like we're able to interact with, with such a diverse group of people. And that, that is an asset. That is a huge asset, right? And so we need to find ways of, of making diversity more accessible, more, um, more of, uh, you know, more in it, more ingrained in our systems, things like that. So whether that's neurodiversity or any other kind of diversity as well. Inclusivity. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, I know you've been thinking about this for the last few days. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to share with our audience? Um, I think just like if you think that if there are hurdles in your life that I think, and I just say this you broadly, um, if there are hurdles in your life and, and habits that you just can't seem to kick, it goes actually really well with our addictions episode from, from last week, right? Like 
there are ways that you don't like, like struggling is, is an option. There are ways out of that. Right. And so I think just like our addictions episode last week too, right? Like there are, there are systems in place right now to be able to access help, to access support, to get answers. Um, but to sort of think that you are a moral failure or you are inherently flawed or because you have bad habits or what have you, right. It, it might be deeper than that. You bet. You hmm. bet. Yeah. Well, I think this has been very stimulating. Now you've sent me a lot of information of the insights that you've gleaned, and I'm going to take some time to reflect on it because I know that uh, this has a genetic component and I'm going to reflect on it. And uh, you sent me some good vitamins, list of good vitamins that uh, if you've had this diagnosis, that it would be useful to support your brain functioning and body. And I'm going to do some research on this. So I'm very grateful. We're going to move into our gratitude at this point. Is everybody, if you've been in these episodes before, you know that we finish with gratitude. And I, I will share with you, this is what I'm very grateful for, is that I've got a daughter here that has the courage to dig into this and to lean into it and to explore it and to learn. And I love the compassion that you're bringing here. You're not limiting it with a, a diagnosis that says, I have a life sentence here. You're seeing the liberation in it. You're seeing the freedom in it. But I also love the compassion that surrounds it. And, uh, you know, this compassion for the, as again, as I will refer to a lot, the diversity of the human experience. And the more we get to know ourselves, the more I know myself, the more accepting I can be of others. Yeah. And oftentimes the restrictions and the judgments that I have of others stems directly from the judgments that I've had of myself. Definitely. What are you grateful for? Oh, that's a great question. I am grateful for, uh, I think just like how many resources there are out there to learn more about this. Um, like I got like the nurse practitioner who I, I spoke with, um, with this diagnosis gave me a bunch. I've been listening to podcasts, doing lots of reading about it. Um, and it's just such a neat community that has sort of found each other as like our understanding of ADHD has grown. Um, so like there's another podcast that's like ADHD info for smart ass women. Um, so it, 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 it's targeting specifically, you know, women with ADHD and, and that is sort of its own unique experience. Right. And, um, you know, adults who get diagnosed later in life with their ADHD and how important that can be. And, um, you know, ADHD in, in the professions and anyway, there's just so many resources out there and, and, um, you know, everything from stand up comedy to talking about like the, you know, pitfalls of ADHD to, you know, strategies and tips and tricks to help work through your life and things. So I'm just grateful for, and also grateful for you for to be able to talk to you about with all of this. Um, just cause well, I, just, I, I think there's a, there's <laughs> one more piece here that we, that we haven't explored enough and that is to turn it into a channel to really be your gift in life Yeah. rather than just dealing with it. It's actually where these challenges are is where the gold is. Yeah. Exactly. Like I can hyper-focus on something that if I'm passionate about it, I can dig in and hours will go by. Right. I think that's a gift, right? I can like, maybe not, you know, losing track of time, but the fact that I can dive in and really, really focus on, you know, something I'm excited about. Right. Or being so adaptable that, you know, if a kid interrupts me, I can go back to that kid and then come back. Right. Like that bouncing around with my attention. Right. Like these are gifts that, you know, there, cause there has to be some sort of evolutionary advantage to this type of brain. Otherwise it wouldn't have stuck around in our population this long. You so, 
and be that prevalent in our population. That's the other thing. It's so prevalent in our population. So it's got to have some sort of advantage. Yeah. And this diagnosis didn't just come uh, like there's, this has been a pattern. And so when you begin to get this self-awareness, what I love is, is the surrounding compassion that you have for yourself on this journey. And it's, it seems like an excavation journey that you're just exploring it and understanding it, not judging it or limiting yourself because of it. It's like, it's honestly the best. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's why I do that. Oh, huh. I never thought of, you know, that is a weird thing to do. You mean normal people don't, or not normal people. I shouldn't say that neurotypical people don't do that. Huh? Interesting. You know? So yeah. So it's been a humorous, but also really fascinating, fascinating thing. Well, even it was funny. One of my students, I was talking about it too. And one of my students like, well, we all knew you had it Haley. Like, of course you have it. <laughs> Thanks. One of my grade 12 students, she kills me, but yeah. Right. So it's just like, it's just nice to finally, you know, put a name to it. Absolutely. No, that's, that's amazing. And you've also, you know, we've on this podcast, we always use the, the uh, challenge won't be real, but you have actually made that real, real. So you're, you've, you know, exploring be who you are, bring more fully who you are rather than trying to pretend that you're somebody that you're not. This is what you're challenged with. And I love that you can bring this dialogue into your, into your classrooms and have your students talk with you about it. Oh my gosh. It was so funny. Like the first time I told them that I was going for, cause I, I hummed and hawed about whether or not to share this, you know, personal thing with them. But I was like, no, you know what? It was partly also because of them that I was able to like recognize these symptoms. Right. Um, ironically preparing a lesson on ADHD for psychology. And so if I, I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to share it with them. And there were in my class, seven or eight kids that were like, I'm on this medication. I love it. One kid was like, I tried this. It wasn't very good. Right. Like these kids are like, oh, me too. That's amazing. So it was like this really neat little like bonding thing that I had with some of these students that was like, all right, you know, so I think that's, I think that's cool. So you're not, of- you've shown us what vulnerability, an example of vulnerability, you're not there getting therapy from them and no. expecting them to take care of you and fix yeah. this, and straighten you out. But you're sharing, this is a part of who you are. And mm-hmm. in the self-compassion, then you can create a culture where they can accept each other yep. and, and build a sense of support for each other. And, and that's, a, that's gotta be a strengthening for everybody. I think so. Right. And I think just, you know, also for them to see that, you know, for these kids who have ADHD, that like, here I am a working professional adult, Right. And I, I, I have found ways to function and, and, you know, to, to do the best that I can. Um, and so like, you know, for them to have this diagnosis as a kid doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. Mm. Well, this has been absolutely delightful. I admire you. I respect you and I love you. And I'm so delighted that you're on this journey and uh, you're not alone as that's our message to all of us. None of us are alone and uh, let's champion each other. Definitely. (laughs) Stay real. Take care, everybody.